Well, today I want to talk to you about this final message and how not to ruin your life. You know, there are a, there are a myriad of ways we can ruin our lives. I've only touched on uh, four ways to not ruin your life. The first week we talked about how not to ruin your life, and that's by working hard. It's not enough to want success. You're going to have to work for it. And then the second week we talked about how not to ruin your life by choosing friends carefully. You see, the people you do life with will influence how you do life. And you can either hurt yourself or help yourself by the friends you choose. And then last Sunday, we looked at a proverb that talks about doing good. That you do yourself a favor when you do good to other people. And then today, I want to just finish out this message series by talking about, I think, the key to how not to ruin your life. You see, I didn't have time over these last few weeks to talk about all the ways that we can mess up or all the ways that we can choose to do right. But what we're going to talk about today really is the linchpin. It answers all the other questions and all the other dilemmas of life, and that is to trust God in everything. I don't know what you're going to be facing, but one of the ways to not ruin your life is to trust God in everything. With every relationship of your life, with every responsibility of your life, trust God in everything. Now, one of the most frustrating times in my life happened a few years ago when I was a passenger in a car. We were in Atlanta, Georgia. We'd been in a meeting, and it was late that night. And even in Atlanta at night, traffic is not fun. And we were in a new area trying to get back to a home where we were staying. And I was tired, and I was hungry, and I was ready to go to bed. But I'm a passenger in this car. So the man who's driving has a GPS, and he programs in the directions to the home. But as soon as we get on the interstate and it starts giving him directions, he says, oh, no, no, there's a different way that I know. We don't need to go the way the GPS is saying. And so the first time he did that, I'm thinking, well, he probably knows this area. But he got lost. And so, so we're off on some side street in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, not knowing where we are. And all the while, the voice of the GPS is recalculating, recalculating. And he kept doing that. Several times it would tell him which way to go, and he would say, no, I know a quicker way than that. I don't know why it's sending us that way. And after about 30 minutes, and I'm a very patient person, but after about 30 minutes, I finally just politely said to him, would you like me to take this and chunk it out the window? Because evidently we don't need it. <laughs> then I realized, okay, I'm not. I'm not driving. I'm a passenger. I just need to relax. And finally, he said, well, well, we'll see. We'll just follow the directions. And we followed the directions, and we got where we needed to go. And I was just so stressed out over that. And then I wonder how often God in heaven gets frustrated at me when he's trying to give me direction for my life, and I won't listen to him, or I ignore him, or I argue with him. God, I know you're telling me to do this in my relationships, but I think I know a better way. God, I know you have a plan for my life, but you know what? I've got some insider information maybe you're not privy to, so I am, or privy to, so I'm not going to follow your directions. And we, we argue with God. I don't think I'm the only one who does that. I think all of us at some time in life have ignored God or flat out rejected God's desire for our lives and then we get ourselves in trouble. Because you see, daily we're making decisions that have an impact on us and an impact on other people. We're making decisions that affect our relationships, that affect our finances. 
We're making decisions that affect our reputation. We're making decisions that affect our, our jobs and our career or our future or our fellowship with God. We're making decisions that could even affect our health. And here's the good news. God wants to be a part of every one of those decisions. God wants to be a part of your life. The God of the universe who created you also loves you so much that he wants to be a part of every moment of every day of your life because he wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. You've got GPS. You've got God's positioning service in you and through the scriptures where God says, let me help you. You don't have to do life alone. And God wants to protect us from harm because he knows that we often get ourselves in trouble when we go our way rather than God's way. And we've only looked at a few selected Proverbs this month, but the whole book of Proverbs, primarily written by King Solomon, uh, some others contributed, but the whole book of Proverbs is really contrasting two ways of living. Man's way of living contrasted with God's way of living. And often the proverb will be structured in such a way, it says, this is how man lives and gets himself in trouble, but the one who lives God's way will find blessings. Or it'll reverse that. The person who lives for God will be blessed, but let me contrast that with the way a person who lives with the mindset he doesn't need God, that he doesn't want to live for God. This is how his life will turn out. And so the book of Proverbs is contrasting two ways to live. God's way of living versus man's way of living. And the book of Proverbs is filled with all kinds of practical instruction. In fact, my application for you today at the end of this message and the end of this series is take the next month and read through the book of Proverbs. Read a chapter a day. And you will be amazed at how practical it is in the things you're dealing with in every aspect of your life. And you'll discover there are a lot of things I didn't preach about but that are mentioned here and that will be helpful to you in the book of Proverbs. Well, today I want to talk to you about trusting God in everything. Because one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Why don't you open up your Bible to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is one of my favorites. I remember the first time I learned this proverb. I was 17 years old. I was making one of my first visits to a hospital after I had surrendered my life to the ministry. My pastor sent me on an assignment. I want you to go and visit a lady who is dying of cancer at South Georgia Medical Center. And I just want you to visit her on behalf of me and the church and pray with her. So I did that and I found this woman to be so sweet and so gracious. And then I made this question. I asked this question at the end of my visit with her. I said, now is there anything else I can do for you or our church can do for you? And she said, well, yes, there is, young man. I want you to go back to that church and I want you to print out the words of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I want you to put it on a poster board and I want you to bring it back to my hospital room and I want you to put it on the wall at the foot of my bed so that every time a doctor walks in and gives me bad news, I'm reminded of this verse. Every time I get afraid or fearful, I'm reminded of that verse. Every time my family comes in and they're fearful about my prognosis, I can point them to that verse. So I said, yes, ma'am. And then I got in my car thinking, what does Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say? Because I had no clue. And here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. 
I went back and I did that. Of course, I printed it in the King James Version like she requested. And I put it on white paper and I, I glued it to a red poster board and I brought it back to her hospital room and we attached it to the wall uh, at the foot of her bed. And she used that not only for herself to be comforted and reminded to trust in the Lord, but she would tell people when they asked her about it, she would tell them about her faith in Jesus. Oh, that's my reminder to put my trust in the Lord. Have you ever done that? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Well, let's walk through this proverb, almost word for word, if you will, and let's talk about what it means. First of all, Solomon is telling us to trust in the Lord. That word trust means to have confidence in, to, to put your faith in him. Now, we know that initially we put our faith in God when we come to him and ask him to forgive us of our sin and to give us the gift of eternal life when we put our trust in Jesus. We trust our sins and we trust our soul and we trust our eternity to Jesus because he's the one who died for us on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. He died and was buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead and he hears us when we call out on him. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from having to pay the price for all the wrong you've done. Because Jesus already took that. He already paid it. And by faith, we just trust in Jesus for salvation. But listen, when Solomon says trust in the Lord, he's not just saying trust in the Lord for salvation. He's saying trust in the Lord in every situation of your life. Jesus didn't just come to save you from hell and to give you heaven. That's wonderful. I'm not belittling that. But he came to give you life and life more abundantly. He wants to be a part of every situation of your life. All of the opportunities, all of the obstacles, all of the pain, all of the pleasure, all of the duties of life, all of the delights of life, all of the temptations of life, all of the triumphs of your life. He wants to be a part of that with you to help you and to guide you. And so Solomon says the best thing you'll ever do for yourself is to trust the Lord. Put your confidence in him. And remember, the contrast is between trusting the Lord and his wisdom that he knows the best way for you to live or trusting in yourself, saying, I don't need the Lord. I've got this figured out on my own. Solomon says, no, none of us have it figured out on our own. Trust in the Lord. And that's amazing of a statement coming from Solomon, whom the Bible calls the wisest man who ever lived. Don't you ever wish you could just speak to the wisest business leader who ever lived? Maybe it would be Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett. Maybe you want to talk to the greatest investor or the greatest golfer and get their wisdom. Well, the wisest man who ever lived said, let me give you some advice. Trust in the Lord. Put your confidence in him. Go ahead and make a decision that his way is best and you're just going to trust in his way. That doesn't mean you'll always understand it. That doesn't mean it's always easy. That doesn't mean it's always plain immediately. But when you find God's will through his word, you're going to trust it no matter what. And after all, you're trusting in the Lord. Your creator, your redeemer, your maker, your defender, your friend. You're going to trust in him because he knows what's best for you. And Solomon says, don't just trust in him half-heartedly, but trust in the Lord with all thine heart, with all of your being. God deserves more than half-hearted devotion. He deserves us to be sold out to him. But so often we want to give half-hearted devotion to God. 
We want to trust God with our problems. But once everything's okay, we forget about God. In fact, we can tell if the only time we're trusting God is if we're in trouble, then we're not trusting Him with all of our heart. Is the only time you pray whenever you're in trouble, but then you don't pray after that? Is the only time you read the Bible whenever you're hurting and searching? Is the only time you come to church is when you need something from God? That's not wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion says whether I'm in church or alone, whether it's Sunday or Saturday, I am going to trust that God knows best for my life, and as best I can, I want to surrender my will to his. And he deserves our wholehearted devotion. We know that's true in other relationships of life, that other relationships deserve our wholehearted affection and devotion. I promise you, my wife of 27 years, Donna, would not tolerate me saying, honey, I give you half of my heart. Oh, half my heart is yours. Now, someone else has the other half. Or, or even if I said, honey, I love you with 99% of my devotion and loyalty, but there's another woman who has 1%. She would say, hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back. No more, no more, no more. You say, no, that would be terrible for a husband to not give his wife wholehearted devotion and trust and loyalty. But then we turn around and we seek to give God as little as possible, typically only when he is needed to bail us out of trouble. Young people, I want to challenge you. Learn to trust in the Lord when life is good because the days are coming when life will be tested and your faith will be tested. And you need to know he's not just some spiritual guru who's a counselor that you can make an appointment with when you need him. He's not just some vending machine that you can stick some money in and he spits out what you want. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is the creator of your life. You wouldn't be here. You would have nothing if it wasn't for him. And the great news is he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he invites you to trust him Test him. He's going to be faithful to you in the good days and the bad days. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And here's that contrast. So trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. There are going to be times God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you should feel about this. Here's how you should act. And then you're going to say, but my understanding is this. I think a better way is this. I know you're telling me to take a U-turn, but I want to keep on going. And in those moments, you're going to be tested. Will you trust in the Lord, or are you going to lean on your own understanding? Now, why are we warned about leaning on our own understanding? Is because, first of all, we don't have all the information. Any parent in this room knows. Sometimes you give your child wisdom or advice or even commands and they want to say, but why? And sometimes you don't have time to explain to them why. Just do it. Or we give them wisdom and they want to argue. And they don't realize the reason I'm giving you wisdom that the road you're on is leading to nothing but pain. is because I've been on that road before. I too was young. I know where you're headed. I know what you're thinking. And so we tell them, you're going to have to trust me. I've got knowledge and I've got experience that you don't have. And you need to trust me. And you need to obey me. And God is the same. God knows we have limited perspective. And even the perspective we have has been tainted by sin. 
where we often make excuses and we want to pass the blame to other people. And so instead of letting us get away with it, God says, no, 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 no. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's like leaning on a broken leg. It will let you down. You will fall. Don't lean on your own understanding. Just trust me, even when it doesn't make sense. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Then he says in the next verse, in all thy ways, I'm, I'm remembering the King James that the lady made me memorize, in all your ways acknowledge him. In all the ways of your life. This means in every aspect of your life. This means there's not a room of your heart that God doesn't want to have the key to. There, there's not a relationship that God doesn't want to be a part of. There's not a day that God doesn't want to be with you. That in every way, you are to acknowledge him. I've already mentioned to you, we didn't have time to talk about all the things that the book of Proverbs speaks to. We've only talked about four so far. About working hard and choosing friends carefully and doing good and trusting God in everything. But the book of Proverbs speaks about needing to reverence God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When you put God first, now you're beginning to gain wisdom. The book of Proverbs speaks about sin and righteousness, about parenting and raising up children. The book of Proverbs warns us against lust and immorality and sexual impurity. The book of Proverbs warns us about adultery and the devastating consequences of it. The book of Proverbs says, be wise when it comes to alcohol. The book of Proverbs speaks about working hard and handling finances and being a person of integrity in your dealings with people at work and in your business. I mean, it is practical stuff. And the writer of Proverbs is saying, in all of those areas of your life, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. What does that mean to acknowledge him? Well, for me, you know, being married, I acknowledge my wife in every major decision of my life. I don't make a major decision without first thinking of her. How will she feel about this? What are her opinions? What's her perspective on this? What are her desires about this? And so I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm in a relationship with another person. The two have become one and that she's a part of me and I'm a part of her. And we, I want to acknowledge her because we are in this together. I've discovered over the years that we're better together. In fact, I won't even hire a staff member now without making sure, even if the personnel committee is all happy and all the staff are happy, that I take that person out to dinner with me and my wife. Because I'm a naive person. I see the best in everyone. I just, I, I'm impressed with whoever you are. I just love you and want to be with you, hang out with you. And, and we'll get in the car after dinner and I'll say, what do you think? And she'll go, uh-uh, ooh. <laughs> You better not. What are you talking about? This person is great. Mm -mm, I'm telling you, you're in for it. If you do that, you know, they're a good person. They're not a fit. And I've just learned over the years, often the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Donna <laughs> in my life. So I've learned to acknowledge her. <laughs> Honey, what you think? <laughs> you know? And, and, and so to acknowledge her is to to admit that she's a part of my life and to take into consideration how she feels. And that's the way it is when we acknowledge him, when we acknowledge the Lord, that we're taking into consideration the fact that I'm in a relationship here. 
I'm in a relationship with God, my Father. And that I want to acknowledge, how does my Father feel about this? How does He think? What are His desires about this? Has He spoken on this issue where I can already hear His heart for me? But it's one step further when it comes to acknowledging Him. You see, when it comes to God, you don't just acknowledge that you're in a relationship with Him. You could actually translate that word from the Hebrew, acknowledge, submit. In all your ways, submit to Him. We say yes to God because we trust Him. We know that He's good. We sang it just a moment ago. He's a good, good Father. And I can trust Him. And so when He reveals His will for my life, I surrender my life to Him. I submit to Him in that area. I say, God, yes. I will let you have your will and your way in that area of your life. You say, but I don't know God's will. Sometimes people want to know God's will. And the Bible doesn't have the kind of answers that often we're looking for. The Bible nowhere says, thou shalt wear blue socks on Sunday morning. Sometimes we get so specific of what we want to know from God. But you know what? There are far more answers in this book than we give God credit for. God has revealed his will in this book we call the Bible. I mean, even the book of Proverbs, but the whole Old Testament and the New Testament is the revealed will of God for our lives. And often we would know God's will more clearly if we knew his word more clearly. If we knew the principles of his word. So even if God's word does not spell out some specific detail of a project I'm dealing with at work at a, a cantankerous client. You guys know nothing about that kind of cantankerous clients, do you? So even if it doesn't say, here's what you ought to do, John, and tomorrow, the Bible gives you principles that will guide you. you got to know them. Now, something I hated in school, I hated those pop quizzes. Anybody else? Oh, my, I hated pop quizzes. Don't do that. I was in such a good mood, you know. I finally showed up for class, and then you got a pop quiz. But I remember one, one time in my first year in Greek at, in seminary, I, I emailed my professor, Dr. David Dukes, earlier in the week, and I said, Dr. Dukes, I am just struggling. I'm, I'm falling behind. I'm not able to memorize all these Greek paradigms. And I'm, I'm expecting some reply from him of sympathy and some wisdom or tidbit that will help me memorize these things better. He just replied back, keep doing your work, Richard. Well, that's no help. I'm doing my work, but I'm struggling here to do my work. So at the end of the semester, we had a take-home quiz. And I did it and did miserably on that take-home quiz. And then he, he calls me over later and he says, Richard, did you not read the email that I sent to you and all the class? Well, yes, I got the attachment, I printed out the quiz, and I took it. I'm sorry I did such a, a bad job on it. He said, no, 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 no. Did you not read where I said in the body of the email that this was an open book test? You could use any resource that you had? Uh, no, no, I did not see that part of your email. I just assumed I knew where this quiz was going, and, and I just assumed it was like all the other quizzes that were closed book. He said, no, it was open book. I'm going to let you do it again. Please use the resources you have. <laughs> we're faced with tests every day. 
And sometimes we blow those tests and we sin and we ruin our lives or we mess up or we hurt ourselves or we hurt other people. And you just can hear God saying, didn't you get that text I sent you? It was an open book test. When you were facing that question, you were supposed to open the book and find the answer and then take the test. Amen? But so often, me, I'm just not reading the emails God sends you. You know, miss that part, God. I thought I'm just supposed to go to church on Sunday morning and then not crack my Bible again during the week, not pray during the week, not get godly counsel from other Christians during the week. I'm just supposed to just live my life and face the world and all of its pain and problems on my own. And God says, no, I gave you all the answers. It's an open book test. Learn it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And here's the promise. And he shall direct thy paths. He will make your paths straight. In the Hebrew, the word for straight means God will clear a path, level out the road, take away the obstacles so that you can get to the destination he has for you. God not only has a will for your life, he will make it possible for you to live out that will. He's got a will for your life and a way for your life that's empowered by his word and his Holy Spirit. He wants to be with you on that road. And he says, if you'll trust me with all your heart, if you'll stop leaning on your own understanding and arguing with me and just learn my will for you and live it out by faith, if you'll not relegate me to a few areas of your life and then lock the door on other areas of your life, if you'll give me total access, I'll direct your paths. I'll show you the way to go. I'll clear the way for you to go. And I'll walk with you every step of the way. What a promise we have from God. And that's why I call this the linchpin of everything else you're dealing with in your life. I may not have answered your specific dilemma I may not have touched on your decision that you're having to make. I may not have touched on the pain or the problem or the question where you always want to raise your hand and say, but Ricky, what about this? What about that? I don't let you do that here. You've got to talk to your life group leader about those things. You've got a hard theological question, talk to your life group leader. <laughs> so I can't touch on that. I don't care how long I was able to talk. There's so many things that we just can't touch on, but God does. And the best thing I can do is get you into the Word because God wants you to let him into your life. And he says, I'll, I'll direct your steps. I'll guide your path. I'll make it straight. I'll clear the obstacles. I've shared with you several times that I conducted my first funeral when I was 17. And since then, I've conducted close to 700 funerals. It's one of those ministries I know God's called me to. To weep with those who weep. To be there for them. But you know what I've learned being with people, even on their deathbed, I've yet to hear a person say, I regret living for God. Never. I've heard many people who've regretted not living for him or not living for him sooner. But you'll never regret living for God. Maybe the writer of this proverb is saying, trust and obey and God will guide your way. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust and obey, and he will guide your way. You know, we have a traditional service at 8 a.m. Sometimes we sing that song, Trust and Obey. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he shines on our way. 
So let us do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm going to do something a little different today. I think there's some folks in this room who could use a little prayer. Man, you're facing the dilemma of your life. It's a heartache. It's a perplexing problem. And you just want to trust the Lord with it. Others of you are, are hurting. And you're a little fearful. And if we were facing what you were facing, we would understand. And you just want to trust the Lord with that uncertain future. Others of you are in some tough relationships. Let's just be honest. We all look good on Sunday morning. So easy to be good for 30 minutes, an hour. Okay, an hour and 10 when I'm preaching. But we sometimes rub each other the wrong way, or marriage isn't always what it's cracked up to be, or kids are going in the opposite direction that we want them to go, or we're worried about our finances, or we've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow morning. These are the things I deal with with you every day. And as your pastor, I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to invite you, if you just want prayer, we'll pray for everyone, but if you, if you really just say, I want to trust the Lord with what I'm facing, I want you to meet me. I'm going to join you right here at the front. Let's just pray together. I'm not going to make you pray out loud. I'm not going to make you say anything out loud. I'm not going to make you sign a card up here. You know, we're not going to make you become a member of the church if you come up here. Uh, I just want to pray with you. And if you don't feel led to come forward, that's fine. I'm going to pray for you too. Or maybe you'll join me in sending your prayers this way for these folks. So Let's stand together. Let's pray. If you want to join me in prayer, all of us standing, those who want to join me here at the front for prayer, that we will trust and obey with the knowledge he will guide our way. Not going to make you say anything. Not going to embarrass you. Just want to pray with you, my friends. You can kneel. You can stand. There's a front row where you can sit. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, I just want to pray for you. Amen. There's plenty of time you come. those of you there, I'm praying for you, but I want you to send your prayers for these folks as well. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for being such a loving God. You invite us to trust you, to put our confidence in you. And God, we want to be that. But we struggle. God, it's easier to preach this. It's easier to memorize this verse. It's easier to talk about it. But we need the power of your Holy Spirit to trust the Lord with all of our heart. And to not lean on our own understanding is so tempting. And to forget that we've got a God in heaven who's there, who loves us, who cares. And to acknowledge you, God, in all of our ways, that whatever it is we're facing in life, you want us to see that you're there. You want us to look for your wisdom and lean on you and trust you and obey you. So Father, I don't know what these, my friends, are dealing with, but you are their God. You know their heart. You hear their prayers. You see their tears. You, you hear their desires and their dreams and their ambitions. God, I thank you that this morning as they humble themselves before you, as I humble myself before you, that you've promised you will guide our way. Thank you for that. We receive your guidance through your word. We receive your guidance through your Holy Spirit. We claim it now, and we praise you for it. 
Father, if there's anyone kneeling here today that needs Jesus as their Savior, I pray that right now they would trust him for the forgiveness of their sin. If there's somebody in this auditorium today who needs the forgiveness of their sin by trusting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that today they would take Jesus at his word. Where Jesus, you said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We claim that promise. And all who are trusting in Jesus today, we say welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the gift of forgiveness. Welcome to eternal life. And God, for those of us who are seeking to live for you, remind us it's not always easy. You didn't say you'll make our paths comfortable, popular, wealthy and prosperous, healthy. You said you'd make it clear, impossible for us to live out your will even when it's difficult. Father, I'm reminded of Jesus, our Savior, your Son, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, before the cross of Calvary, cried out three times, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering for the sins of the world pass from me. If there's any other way than having to be abandoned by you as I hang on a cross, taking the sin of the world on my own body, if there's any other way, let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done. And Jesus taught us that we can trust you, Father. That on the other side of our groaning is glory. On the other side of our pain is praise. On the other side of whatever cross we're having to bear is a coronation and a resurrection. We thank you and we claim it. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.